Jim Joyce. I didn't say it in that voice. I got, you know, I, no, hold on. Let me try it again. Jim Joyce. There we go. Like Much it. better. I like it. Much you got to bring better. your A game. I <laughs> got to bring the little... A game every Wednesday. Let's we bring lazy. Our lazy during summer kind of august european months you're still an american you know at heart here you know just stream through august and into september and and hashtag startup life right i don't know when it really <laughs> stops or 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 uh, etc but um yeah i know we, we don't talk about deals but the only one that i saw fly through and just super happy uh jen schneider so ex lavango uh for homework right raised another 50 mil announced a big partnership so wow. congrats to her uh and the team i know we're not hearing such you know bigger deals these days so uh congrats to to the team there awesome. um and i'm it's sure great to see these you, projects yeah. i think these projects like um you know as companies like lavango or whatever that you know, these executives go off and do other things and create this kind of diaspora of digital health innovation, right? Transparent to yep. home wrap. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, you know, we still haven't, I don't think we've had Glenn on to be honest. I think it would be time and, and maybe even uh, we'll reach out to Jen too. It'd be cool, cool to hear uh, some of their awesome. thoughts. But um, so today, uh, first of all, just last thing, I have to like look on YouTube, like which t-shirt I wore that last Wednesday, just so I'm not like repeating <laughs> Wednesday to Wednesday. So this was like 10 episodes ago, this t-shirt. I think I'm okay. Right. Um, I just thought it was okay. funny because I literally looked at it before. Um, so today we're going to have another public company, digital health, public company CEO. Um, you awesome. know, I'm going to, I'm going to let best. in. Yes, exactly. I'm going to let Corey in. <laughs> So Corey McCann, where's the pair behind him? Oh, he has a big pair. He's, he's coming. He's coming, joining in now. There we go. Almost there. There we go. There's the pair. Hey, you made hey. it. Good, good to have you on, Corey. Finally, I, you know, we were kind of just chatting. I actually didn't realize we didn't have you on because I, we had you on the DTX podcast. Or I, I, not you, Jim. I'm cheating on you still on the DTX right. podcast. Um, no, but welcome. And um, I don't know all the rules. You guys are two publicly traded company CEOs, so <laughs> you will you will push back on me. But I know there's no forward looking statements and all that good stuff. But you know, right? Gonna have little reg FD, little reg FD. Yeah, you know, you you just guys, you know, just a little. Um, so yeah, if nice you haven't met, you, Corey. Okay, you haven't met. Very nice I'm surprised through the. Um, well, I, I have to say before we jump in, not to be flattering here, but your your you did a presentation at J.P. Morgan. You know, I don't know. It was like early, early days, like way, way back there. That was kind of like the tastemaker, you know, presentation for the whole digital therapeutic space. So ever since then, so I, I actually I remember the presentation was such you know, with such clarity. So you've had an effect on a lot of my strategy, whether you meant to do it or not. <laughs> Jim, that's, um, that's very kind. It's, it's very much a mutual admiration society here. Um, <laughs> I have to say, as, as I'm thinking about podcasts, I've always wanted to be on Rogan and maybe like Smartless. But then after that, <laughs> right. it's you guys in Eugene's DTX podcast. I mean, you're, you're up there. For right. Fantastic. Like it. Love it. And, you know, I we did say that, like, I kind of have the Rogan haircut and, you know, maybe, you know, again, right. I'm not trying to compare to my, myself to, to him. But uh, but anyway, for our right. mil millions of listeners and users, 
or users. I just got off another call, but uh, millions <laughs> of members. listeners and watchers, members, um, tell us who you are and you can start anywhere. Personal, professional, take us through your life a bit and then we'll interrupt as usual. Sure. Uh, let's um, let's do this uh, superhero origin story uh, style. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Corey McCann. I'm the CEO of Paratherapeutics. Uh, grew up um, outside of Philadelphia. Uh, was, um, I guess, birthed and raised by uh, two community college professors. Um, went to a Pennsylvania State School uh, thereafter. So I really like American football and canned beer. Those are those are sort of two of my interests in life. Awesome. Um, <laughs> took uh, took a little bit of a non traditional course, I think, in the digital health world. Um, so trained as a physician scientist from there. Um, did a bunch of neuroscience research for people who've seen things like the rainbow mice all sorts of cool pictures, um, really, really interested in cellular and molecular neuroscience. And then I think if there is a theme in my life, it's do lots of things, um, maybe some of them well, maybe some of them not well. Um, so uh, went to McKinsey thereafter, uh, did all healthcare work in their New York office, and then was a venture investor after that, and really started looking at this crazy space of what we called at the time software as a drug, I think is now called digital therapeutics. We were looking at this in 2010, 2011, and then in 2013, uh, started Pair. Wow. So eight, what are we in now? How, how many years old are is So 2013 to what, what are we in? What year are we? We're like, uh, we're nine, years, nine years. Nine? You're nine, nine years? We're, we're nine years in, and I'm very thankful for the beautify my appearance slider on Zoom. If it weren't for that, <laughs> you'd really be able to see the years. Awesome. <laughs> Now, last time I saw you, uh, Corey, you also had longer hair. So I don't know if you got a filter to to do a haircut or something. You know, <laughs> I certainly don't. But <clears throat> I was jealous. I'm always jealous of your hair and gyms, too. Um, but, well, that's, but that's incredibly kind. And I, I, I can't pass on a hair compliment. So thank you for that. Um, I think that was that, that was uh, one of those things during COVID that worked really well in 2D, but not so well in 3D. And so I think as we were transitioning uh, from that 2D Zoom world, uh, it was time for a haircut. So I, I want to rewind back a little bit, right? So, um, you know, trained as a physician scientist, neuro, uh, cell biology. Um, how did you actually transition to McKinsey, right? Like what was the thinking process there, right? Uh, just always curious how people get into consulting even. Yeah, I mean... For me, I went to school until I was almost third. And so the idea of then going and paying to do an MBA just right. seemed great. I didn't necessarily have an appetite for that. Right. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with MBA students um, during my MD PhD, and I kind of had a sense for what that looked like. Um, but at the same time, I really felt like I needed some more skills. And I needed a little bit of a credible brand in things that were neither medicine nor science. And so there's mm. sort of a little bit of a joke that says you go out and you get your MCK. Um, and <laughs> really found the training that I got there to be incredibly formative in my career. Great. And, and at that stage, had you spent all of your parents' community college money or were you off the yeah. <laughs> 30, age 30? <laughs> yeah, I, I was that community college trust money. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and then did you fall in love with Boston at that stage or were, were, were you training in Boston or you got, you're headquartered in Boston we're, too? Or? We're headquartered in Boston. Um, and, you know, I, I trained across um, uh, Washington University in St. Louis and um, at Harvard in Boston as well. Um, WashU had and still has just this amazing MD-PhD program. It's, I think, the biggest and, you know, I would still say one of the best that's out there. But it doesn't have the same sort of entrepreneurial spirit that you have in Boston. And right. so I ended up going to Boston because my thesis mentors, uh, Harvard, as the Yang of Academia, built a whole new center and a whole new building. Um, and so I ended up going to Boston, uh, spending a bunch of time at Harvard. And there's a different spirit here that is really all about company creation. It's not just about knowledge for knowledge. It's about knowledge for impact sake. And I have to say that that really resonated with me. Right, right. And, and when you think about, and I don't know where you wanted to go, Eugene, but the, um, when, like one of the things that struck me was, Bali. you know, especially- I want to go to Bali. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Bali. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me where I want to go. I, I mean, I, don't, I haven't been. Yeah. So. Sorry, but, but we, that, got, we yeah. got you out of a, day, a daydream there. <laughs> daydream. <laughs> Focus, <laughs> but um, <laughs> when, when just maybe just therapeutically, you know, that when you're thinking about uh, starting pair and setting it up, or even you were thinking about the DTX space, I always kind of interesting. Did you have like a, a thesis of kind of what areas you wanted to go in, or were you thinking about the machine in general? Um, you know, what were the natural areas that you could tack tackle through software as a medical device? Yeah, we were we were probably thinking a little bit more generally at that particular uh, time. And, you know, the origin story is I originally thought that there was a fund level opportunity here. And we went out and we looked at a couple of hundred different assets 10 plus years ago um, at the time. And it, it probably still, you know, it wasn't the greatest environment in which to deploy LP capital. It was just it was really early. Um, but I saw a lot of things that convinced me that this could be a fundamental modality. And so, you know, we didn't come in saying we want to build an addiction company. We didn't come in saying we want to build even a CNS company. It was really this thought that software could be a mainstream medical treatment. And I think that's still what drives us. I mean, we've gone very deep into the addiction world, into the CNS world. Um, but, you know, as hyperbolic as it sounds, I believe in a world where there are hundreds of these things and where they treat most medical conditions, the time course and the risk to get there is what we all think, uh, you know, spend our time thinking about, but I think this is a far reaching opportunity. And, and, you know, I mean, there's lots of discussions around, you know, time to market, right. Um, the pair has existed nine years, but so has other, you know, in a digital therapeutic uh, space, the choice of going prescription versus non-prescription, right? It's always a challenge. Uh, and, you know, if you talk to a lot of the investors today, you know, uh, now when the capital is tight, tightened up as well, you know, we would advise actually to go kind of more direct to consumer non-prescription first and then get the data. So curious how you thought about it back then. And again, your commitment to this, you know, a prescription market, right? Um, yeah, I mean... I flatly reject the notion that it's a choice. I think it's a strategic consideration with regard to focus. And so it really depends on what conditions you want to try. So, um, you know, not to 
not to pick on you, but I think if we wanted to treat things like male pattern baldness, that might be a better consumer opportunity. Um, I think on the other hand, we want to treat opiate use disorder or severe depression. You can't speak to disease treatment without regulatory oversight. You can't get clinicians to utilize your products without clinical data. And so, you know, to me, certainly we can make all the arguments we want that maybe there's some sneaky way to make claims but not make claims. But I don't believe that that's something that persists at scale. And if, again, your goal is to get to scale and to really impact patients and generate a massive economic opportunity, I, I think regulation is the only way to get there if you want to treat frank medical conditions. Mm -hmm. And when you... Um... When you're thinking about the, you know, just from your in putting your kind of investor hat on and you've had so much exposure to these different investors, you've been you know, kind of doing this for a while, you know, how have, how have you seen their, uh, their perspective change and evolve and mature in niche right now? Or like, are you seeing that? Are you seeing like a, this big class of investors getting specialized or is it still kind of sit in a generalist column for you? I mean, I think it's, um, I think you're actually seeing some brand value around digital therapeutics. You know, there's, there's been a mm -hmm. lot of talk and I think people know what the term is. When we started out, the term didn't exist. And so, um, you know, right. that's definitely been an evolution. Um, I think, you know, if you sort of think about like a 2021 and prior window, um, I think you're seeing a lot of interest in digital therapeutics and in prescription digital therapeutics. And I know that a lot of the investors that we educated along the way have gone on to subsequently invest in many of the companies in the space. And I, I think that's an absolutely awesome thing. Um, I don't think it's necessarily specific to what we do. It's just the way that the world is wired right now. I think anything related to growth has contracted so rapidly that everybody's taken a wait and see approach for the last six months. You know, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, running a growth stage company is kind of like running a restaurant in Q1 of 2020. You know, like the world has changed. Don't have anything to Oops. do with you. It's time to adapt to a new set of rules. And, and that's kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I used to use the analogy, like I remember I was in um, in Ireland raising money for my last healthcare company. And in um, Ireland went through like a total economic collapse at the time, which was, the, you know, specifically acute in Ireland you know, across Europe. And, you know, and I was going and raising capital and, and I equated it to the equivalent of walking into a, um, talking to investors or walking into a Starbucks as it was on fire, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and asking for a cup of coffee, you know, like that was yeah. what I felt like at the investor meetings. <laughs> Did you not see you the like fire? I, I like it. <laughs> and, and, you know, and obviously, I mean, I think, um, and I, I agree with, all of that been said, and it's interesting to see kind of some of the larger brand names of, you know, venture capital that typically do later stage, you know, kind of more signaling on earlier stage, because if you have a seven to 10 year view, this too shall pass, right? And it's just the whole kind of B, you know, late A, B, C plus is where the challenges are today, right? And again, I think that's hopefully short lived, but we're going to see you know, more, more capital coming earlier. Yeah, I, I and, and, you know, timing and predicting the market is decidedly above my pay grade. So, you know, <laughs> my job is to do the best with the, with the yep. hand that I've been dealt. 
Um, but it's, you know, it, we're living in crazy times. I think you look at, a, you know, a lot of venture and private investors and they've focused to public companies to focus on the valuation dislocations there. You look at some of the others and they've decided to move earlier as opposed to later. I think it's anybody's bet as to what's the right strategy if you're deploying capital right now. And, and who do you, I mean, if you don't mind saying like, who do you, who do you admire in the space? Like, you know, do you think that, that it just is really kind of cracked or, or do, you, do you think that way? Like who in the kind of digital therapeutics or even broader digital health category? Yeah, I, I think I think there are a bunch of really young companies that are doing a great job of, of walk, walk and talking the talk. Um, you know, I think the team at, at MedRhythms is on to something that's really interesting. Um, I have a great degree of admiration for uh, the team at Achille. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wish them the best. And I think that they have the opportunity to really dramatically change the way that ADHD is treated. Um, I think some of the data that just recently came out of Cognito um, as a neuroscientist, yeah. pretty darn cool. Um, so I think there are a bunch of companies that are really moving the space forward you know, in the spirit of complete uh, and utter candor here, a bunch of companies that are moving the space backward too. You know, you can't yeah, okay. open a press release without some sort of wild claims. And I think the world is confused because, you know, to use an American football term, there are a bunch of parts of the space that have outkicked their coverage. You know, like we're just, <laughs> we, um, maybe not, not anyone on this call, but there's some companies that are making some crazy claims on the basis of data that isn't there. And so um, it's kind of the yin and the yang of digital therapeutics right now. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's interesting, right? And to your point, right, the, the more there's funding, the more there's other investors that don't necessarily know the space, but it was hot. And let's rewind back, you know, pre, pre six months ago or, or so. Uh, I think it's just, you know, there's always smart money and then there's just money, right? Um, and, and so that comes with it. And, you know, the interesting part you said earlier, and I want to kind of go back a little bit to it, that, you know, we, we all know what digital therapeutics is. Um, you know, I would argue we're still in our own kind of bubble, I would almost say. Um, and if you ask the patients out there, I don't know if anybody will know what a digital therapeutic actually means, right? Um, and so I think there's the masses, and I'm hoping, you know, a little plug, the DTX podcast I've had actual patients reach in and say, wow, I just kind of stumbled on it and I've used product X or I've asked for a prescription or I asked my doc. So hopefully I think all of us, right, are sort of making that. Um, and at the, at the end of the day, it's not about digital therapeutic. It's just to your point, Corey, it's a therapeutic, right? It's going to be a prescription product. It's a modality. It's a therapeutic um, for the right time for the right patient. So sorry, I got off on that tangent on, on, no, I think there's a lot of merit in that thinking. And frankly, I think about this very simply, which is, what is your label? I mean, you're a therapeutic. What does your label say? That's what you are. And, um, you know, I, I, like the DTA, the Digital Therapeutics Alliance has done a great job of mm -hmm. raising awareness for the space. But frankly, digital therapeutic is not a term of art. You know, it's not something that's written into legislation. There's no definition. And so, I spend none of my time uh, trying to define that term and all of my time trying to orient people toward what my label says, who this might benefit and what my data says. You know, uh, as, as kind of been saying the trailblazer, right? And especially specifically really laser focused on the prescription digital therapeutic market, right? With indications that you guys are driving, 
that came with lots of punches, right? I mean, anytime you're doing anything new, um, there's, it's a, you know, you can lose your hair. You guys have done pretty great doing new things without <laughs> losing your hair. So kudos. Um, but I, I, I don't know any, uh, any kind of guidance to entrepreneurs or thoughts like, again, pushing the envelope, doing something new, you know, being punched in the face left and right all the time, you know, hopefully not literally. I don't know. Thoughts, ideas, yeah, how to survive. <laughs> it's an utterly humbling path. Um, I don't think I'd change a thing, but it's, it's deeply humbling. You know, I, as I think about the trajectory here, you know, take this however you like, but vision is, vision is cheap. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a vision and like, you know, I can have all sorts of visions. Like I have a vision, I'm going to bench press 500 pounds or I have a vision. I'm going to hold my breath for 10 minutes. You know, like we can have lots of visions. What matters is the execution. And when I think about what's really differentiating for entrepreneurs that, that I really admire, it's grit. It's speed of turns and really approaching everything from an 80-20 mindset and solving as many problems per unit day for as long as you have the blessing to be able to do that, knowing you're going to get some right and getting more right than you get wrong. And, and it's that sort of probabilistic humbling that, you know, is what it takes. Here. Awesome. And Jim, if, we if don't do any clips. Like, Sorry, just real right. quick. We don't do many clips of our show. I think you've done one or something just by accident. Right. <laughs> I think we're going to have to clip this one. <laughs> Yeah, this is gonna be that's major that's major on production there. That's major yeah. on production. <laughs> um yeah, no, I like it. I love that I love it. I love it. I took inspiration from there, reflecting on my own career there. <laughs> went, went deep in my own recess. Um <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Sure. It's cool. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not gonna live up to all the things you said there, but I'll do my best. <laughs> but the the um uh if you were to you know I know vision's cheap, but if you were to look forward, if you were to look forward and you were to think about for the class, not, not just for pair, like, you know, what do you think we're facing in like four or five years and Eugene's doing the 600 episode of digital therapeutics? Like, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you, what's your forecast of how the class looks? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I believe, and I continue to believe that, you know, there will be software to treat most diseases um, I think in the five to 10 year time horizon, you're going to see these products starting to move away from behavioral therapies, which is just by virtue of risk where you start and getting into drug software combinations and digital biomarkers. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's what every digital health entrepreneur says, but at some point we'll talk about these things as therapeutics, not digital therapeutics. Um, right. You know, I think, I think we're headed there. Um, I think the space is in an interesting place where, you know, if you think about risk in terms of an hourglass, like there was a lot of risk and it was very distributed um, a couple of years ago. And I think now we're right at the waist of the hourglass where the risk is on reimbursement. And I think everybody is trying to figure out how long payers will deny care because they can in the face of data that shows the patient's benefit. And if you look at other other spaces, other medical devices. This happens in every single medical device in the U.S. I can speak much less articulately um, outside the U.S., but it's just the game. And I think figuring out exactly what that payer adoption process looks like, how long it takes, we can look at comps, but everything sort of takes its own shape. 
that's what we're all trying to figure out. Right. So, so five years from now, that's solved that, you know, that there people are evaluating these things, you think? For sure. Uh, yeah. For sure. And, and well, you know, I, obviously I think I've got problems if they're not. Um, but right. um, yeah, I, I think we're in a place where there are standard reimbursement and benefit categories. We're going down them. We're having standardized conversations about data and we're not having to go through a digital process and a medical process and a pharmacy process at every given payer. And we're not mm. having to have everyone hire a different consultant to define digital therapeutics at every given payer. There are right, definitions right. and we're working through them. Awesome. It's interesting. I just heard, a, a, you know, an, an, an exec talk about in, in a health plan, uh, talk about that they've discovered like in dozens and I don't want to, you know, disturb, but in dozens of frameworks to figure out and kind of certify slash move through the internal processes. And this is kind of scoped through from the world in dozens of frameworks, right? And you would think that that also needs to be aligned across and, and the difference between, well, there's one standard for FDA and there is a different standard within health plans and the payers, right? And then there's a huge 10% up to 10% difference of what needs to be shown and, and delivered and proved. And so it's, it's um, yeah, I mean, lots to do for the thing, the digital therapeutic entrepreneurs, right? Because it's almost like you're being put to a, even a tougher standard that even a molecular come uh, because you have access to real world data versus the drugs really that lags, right? And, and Eugene, I think, I think this is just fundamental to running a medical device company. You know, um, medical devices are put to different standards than drugs. Um, you know, thanks to groups like pharma in the U.S., there is a lobby, there are statutes, there are definitions. You either are a drug or you aren't. And if you are a drug, once you're approved, that puts you into a reimbursement shoot. That's not the way it works for medical devices and PDTs or medical devices. So I think that's the battle that we're fighting right now. So, um, I mean, so many more questions on wine, but I have one. Both of you guys are public company CEOs. How do you keep yourself like sane? I don't know. I mean, I guess <laughs> <laughs> there's a big and assumption he, there. There's a big um, assumption um, there that, that you started off. Indeed. That you started yeah, off. that's also <laughs> true. That's also true. I guess I always say everybody, everybody's crazy and weird. We're just all different levels of it. Right. That's kind of my, my comment. Right? Uh, I'm just, I'm, Jim, I'm asking feel- for a friend, Corey. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Jim, I feel like I'm not adequately engaging the crowd here. How do you do it? I, I'm, I'm looking to learn. Oh yeah, well I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I was I was hoping to get it out of you this this call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you. What's I was going looking on. for that. I see what's going but, on. I, but I, yeah, no, I. You know, for me, it's interesting. I mean, we're listed on Euronext. It's a, a you know, I I had kind of a thesis in listing our company. I think the the pressure you might be under in a U.S. listing environment could be different. Um, so Euronext is a it's a you know European exchange is big, but you know we're on a junior market. You report twice a year, it, it, and and there's some history of earlier stage companies like I was almost like pre-commercial traction companies, you know going and listing like in Sweden and you know markets like Australia and, and Norway and so that was thesis. That was my thesis coming in that that I would you know be given um, 
it might just be, you know, it's, it's the old, you know, don't, don't judge a fish by how it climbs trees. So that was my thesis. Now, I, I do find that they do try to judge me <laughs> by how I climb trees sometimes. So, so I, I, I think the biggest advice that I've gotten that I'm trying to just hold is that it's a, um, is, is, you know, just like you're doing when you're building a company, just try to build a compelling big company, compartmentalize the financing part of the arm compartmentalizing the finance and not become a prisoner to it is my theory, you know, um, and then just try to stay true to that. You know, now you have, this is great admiration. Like, I think these, these guys that these big company guys that like are these, you know, all these entrepreneurs that we admire, like the, the jobs and the musts and the Bezos, it kind of feels like they did that, right? Like they kind of, you know, famously jobs telling people to, you know, Hey, well, if you don't want to own my stock, then don't own it. You know, like, and I, I'm not right. quite in that lux luxurious position, but, but the, um, <laughs> but I think that's kind of the, the, the thesis, you know, if at the end of the day, build, if you build a big, beautiful company that has lots of impact to people, you know, you know hopefully ultimately that, that wins. So that's my theory anyway. I, I mean, it certainly resonates. I, I am a believer that the fundamentals are fundamental. And, you know, I think if what you're trying to do is optimize for the market week on week or month on month, you're going to drive yourself crazy. And worse than that, you're going to drive your team absolutely crazy. And so, you know, I think, I think it's our job to really have the world's most articulate sense for what is your company's true north and take in all the data as you go, but really keep people focused on that true north. And, you know, I find that if we're not sort of thinking about two to five year problems, I'm probably thinking about the wrong things. Mm. So uh, maybe, uh, um, Corey, just that, you know, uh, Jim brought up uh, jobs and, you know, Apple. And I know I asked you that, I believe I asked you that on the DTX podcast. Uh, but for those who did not listen to that, unfortunately for them, um, what was the naming um, thinking on Pair? Were you like... And I know the answer because I did ask you, but just for our, our, our the shot listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think you can, you can play this uh, one of two ways. Um, I think if you want to really be brash, um, you know, we aim to be the most successful tech company ever named after a fruit and Apple be damned. Um, <laughs> I think if, uh, if, if you, if you want to be a little bit more niche, um, you know, I, I continue to believe that drug software combinations like what we've built with ResetO um, are going to be a huge part of digital therapeutics. And so it's a cheeky pun on pairing drugs and software. Cool. What? Jim I was, Joyce. I was hoping for more of an audience response there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, look, you can we, we, we can... We, we can keep going. I, I, you, we, you know what? For Jim, our job for the next one, even though we're going to have a different guest, is to come up for other combinations of how Pear was was built yeah. as a as a brand. How about that, Corey? I'll 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 uh, take I'll take that as a to do. That's great. Yeah, that, I would settle for some canned applause. Uh, that, that's <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid. Like I've I've been to, you know with the Zoom delay or whatever it is, and then you know the. the pear is a healthy fruit so so we give you that that's that's fantastic all right Mr. Joyce do you want to go to your famous question okay so Corey if you um take yourself back in time here and or, or take yourself forward in time and you're you know you've pioneered you know this fantastical space of of digital therapeutics and now it's just therapeutics and people are getting all the benefits from these products that you've helped uh, bring to the market, but you're um, at a 
Pennsylvania college basketball game. You get a Michelob light in your hands. Um, you just visited your, I mean, you just visited some old community college uh, family members and you're walking across the parking lot and this young aspiring uh, physician, scientist turned consultant entrepreneur looks up at you and says, you know, Corey, you're Corey. Um, and you're looking at him as if he's a younger version of yourself. I've just started uh, this phenomenal digital healthcare company. And, you know, what's your one piece of advice you give me as I, as I initiate? I mean, first of all, that's, that's an awesome view of the world. And I love just for a moment uh, escaping my day and just living in that reality. So it's awesome just, just to hear you talk about it. It made me, made me feel really good. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite quotes is from Mike Tyson, which is, uh, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And um, you know, I, I firmly believe that, that that's sort of critical for entrepreneurship and for success. You know, I would advise that they're going to be really high highs and really low lows. And this is, again, all about getting more right than you get wrong and doing it as quickly and cheaply and efficiently as you possibly can. And again, focus on that two to five year vision. Love it. Never awesome. had anybody use a Mike Tyson's quote. So in, in <laughs> over a hundred episodes. So I'll yeah, clap for that one. Too. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, Corey, thanks for making the time uh, as, as a busy CEO. And uh, we had a pleasure of having you here and uh, to all the viewers and listeners subscribe, pass it on and hopefully learn something. Thanks, Thank you Corey. guys. It's been awesome.